Will They Find a Home? Sponsored by Geico. Steve is intrigued by the paranormal. Otherworldly spirits really make a house a home, you know? Janice has different taste. I'd like my house to not be haunted. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle home and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Steve and Janice found a renovated Victorian that's only haunted from 9 to 5. Okay, wife's home. Y'all gotta bounce. Bye, Steve. Bundling without compromise at Geico.com. You know, I get to hang out with a lot of funny people, a lot of interesting people, and uh, a lot of good people. And one person that I have uh, been getting to know better is somebody that, uh, well, to list their accomplishments would take a while, so I'll just kind of give you a a, a quick rundown. Uh, Comedian, songwriter, son, brother, father, and uh, one of uh, my my favorite people. Uh, It's Pat Godwin. Pat, uh, there are a lot of... uh, Blessings to having uh, the job with the Bob and Tom Show. And one of mine, one that I consider, um, well, one that I'm really happy about uh, and that I, I consider an honor is getting to know you over the last couple of years. Same here. It's been it's been a joy. We've kind of bonded uh, through this experience. And it's fun. That, uh, it's hard to make new friends later in life. And uh, it's interesting that I, I've made a new one with you. Yeah, and it hasn't felt like uh, work. No. <laughs> No. Sometimes when you meet somebody new, you're like, well, we're going to be working together. I guess we'll make yeah. this happen. No, no. It just it just happened. Yeah, we've all through the pandemic have really bonded because we don't have any guests. So I think we've become closer. I think all of us have really become closer. I noticed that with Christy and, uh, you know, and, and Tom to a certain degree. Tom and I have been friends for a long time. But yeah. you and I have really kind of grown to enjoy well, this, this experience. Yes, that's really interesting. I haven't considered that during uh, the pandemic, we really have... All gotten closer. Isn't that funny? Like it just it yeah. We 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 don't have guests, we have each other. Right. And we've all risen to the occasion. There's like laser focus on everybody's part. It's kind of crackling and funny and really energetic. it's a different vibe than it was a year ago. It's really something else to see. Yeah. And listen to, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I know um I'm having so much fun and the thing about it you're right, when we when the show's over, not all of us are that Unless we have something to do, we're not that quick to leave. Yeah. Which we, you would think we'd be. I mean, we joke about uh, a chick being four and out the door or me, yeah. you know, me showing up right before showtime and then, <laughs> and then leaving shortly after. But it's not. I mean, we, yeah, we will linger and chat and laugh. Yeah. And, there are weeks that I have my son where I have to run out of here and, right. uh, you know, relieve the babysitter, give her a hug and a little pat in the butt on her way out of the door. And uh, I don't do that. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> These are different times, though, Josh. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. But, yeah, I like to hang out because uh, we really uh, we talk about the show. You and I have, like, inside jokes that we enjoy, and we'll always have one little word, word that we'll say to each other that someone, <laughs> either you or I have said or a little line yes, that yes. no one else knows necessarily god or uh, right right we'll text each other during the day something yeah goofy from the show i think i've talked twice on uh that josh Arnold podcast about how you and i well and this uh, there are many in this room that have this but have sort of a comedy sixth sense where i can tell if you're about to if you have a line that you really want to get out that's going to be good and you can kind of tell and and oftentimes you and i will feed each well like i'll go back to you and go so, Pat, what were your thoughts on that or whatever? I love that because sometimes you and I will get stepped on because it's just a, people are talking and they're trying to look for their space and their moment and their timing. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, you, you get some, stepped on or something isn't heard or something else is is getting laughed at. And, but you pick, you have an innate sense of picking up on something. Well, Pat, what did you, Pat, what did Pat, Pat said? And then I'll repeat it. Then we get the laugh. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing. Then we don't lose that actual comedy that was stepped on in a natural way. Right, right. I yeah. try not to go, everybody shut up yeah, no, Pat no, said it, something funny and we all missed it it's just hey Pat what was that yeah you do it you do it in a very very a very a very good way yeah. and you, you get stepped on more than I do because I think uh, one of the reasons is you're not in the room you're yeah. in a separate area 
Yeah, it, it's it's harder being out of the room. It really is because I mean you're not in Tom's eyesight, and you're you know people need a visual cue sometimes to kind of you can see in somebody's eyes when they got something coming. You know, yeah. you can see in their face, uh, their body language. Yeah, and that 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 thing has been taken away from me, so I have to really kind of maneuver myself <laughs> and, and sh- you know shoot shoot from the grassy knoll, so to speak. Exactly, you do kind of snipe yeah. from uh, and uh, the other thing is you. Do have a role on the show? Obviously, you are our uh, songwriter yeah, and performer, court composer. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. And sometimes I think when somebody has at least, um, and, and I'd lo- I'd love your insight on this. If if in Tom's mind they go, okay, that's the guy who uh, does. Um, he's the engineer or whatever, mm-hmm. or he's this. Uh, if in Tom's mind you are the well, he does the song. I'll go to him for songs. If you've got lines. Um, you know, just quick lines like that, like mm-hmm. those snipes, he's not, maybe people aren't as quick to listen. Yeah. Because it's outside of what yeah. they've designated your role to be. Yeah. I've started to chime in a little bit more because I feel more comfortable. Every, every day I feel more comfortable because I, before I would just be waiting to be talked to and to be to have the song right. set up. And then I would do that to the best of my ability. But we've all really grown as a comedy group. And we started to really trust each other and like each other's instincts in comedy. So I think it's easier now for me to poke my little head in and have the kind of fun you guys are having here in the room. Like, and I was in the room in the very beginning, two years ago. Yes. And then, of course, our whole lives changed. And right. Geez, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm at my house on Zoom on a delay, which was miserable. I hated it. I forgot it. about those days. Yeah. Yeah, for the for three months, I'm That's like, right. Uh, and every time the lighting's wrong and there's a delay or I would there be a glitch. I would hear you guys singing along to stuff, but it would be like a three-second delay. Oh. And it was, uh, you know, I remember, God, and I worked so hard at making all those things uh, good. And, uh, oh, the, I couldn't wait to get back here with natural timing. Yes. You know? Yeah. The Zoom delay is just very, has been very hard on comedy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yes. Going back to live comedy, I'm, it's going to be awkward. Not, not, there's no delay anymore. It's yeah, like just, yeah. Just, <laughs> hey, wait, you guys don't laugh yet. <laughs> You got to give me a second or two. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have a uh, a conversation with you is because uh, there may be folks out there who think, oh, well, he's the silly song guy. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more than that. So much more, you know. Oh, thank you. Um, not, that, not just that you offer the show, but uh, of what you do and who you are. And, uh, you know, you, you and I have uh, shared stories, either, you know, uh, stories of... Uh, War stories, for lack oh, yeah, of a better yeah, term. Yeah. Uh, or um, I've we've also just talked about theater and uh, acting and all because you've done a lot of it, and uh, they always they're always funny. They make me laugh, and it's time that other people hear them. Oh. So. I love road stories. I love showbiz stories. And I come from a family of theatrical people that love the, uh, geez, the fuzz in the gate, in other words. Like in, in regards to things being imperfect, uh, shows like my dad just tells stories about, you know, someone that, that forgot their lines. My dad would have these great stories about the plays he directed. And that's what I like about comedy and music is that there's just so much that people don't know that y- you and I share, people who are comedians or actors share about just the, in, the stuff that happens in the wings. Yeah. All the really interesting stuff that 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 people don't see or know you know it's great stuff yeah so you've had the, an acting theater background so where did you grow up i grew uh, i was born in south bend my dad was teaching and went to notre dame and uh, then he got a, a job uh, in chicago when i was three we went to chicago for a year and then he went back to his home hometown of wilkesbury pennsylvania and got the head uh, theatrical gig um at king's college uh, in Wilkesbury, where he was born and came from. So at the age of four or five, I went back to where my dad is from in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And then he was the, the theater director of uh, King's College and did speech and communications and did all the little theater stuff. That's why the movie Waiting for Guffman it kills me because that's that's pretty <laughs> much an exagger- is an exaggerated version of my dad's uh, kind of uh, area of Wilkesbury when he would have to direct, you know, yeah. direct these plays and come home and complain about her. He'd do King Lear with an 18-year-old at King's College playing the part of King Lear and just go, oh, God. <laughs> and I used to love stuff like that. Yeah. You know? 
So it was all you were immersed at a young age. But the thing was that my dad and I had such an awkward relationship that uh, I didn't realize that my rebellion went in the form of uh, an obsession with sports. I became I I did not I I denied my uh, humorous roots and my theatrical roots that were embedded in me that would have come out eventually. And I, I was an obsessive athlete. I ran before school. Um, uh, I did track. I did football, and I would all. That's all I did, uh, and of course, and I got good grades. But I also was just obsessive about sports. And being a guy who was five eight, there was no chance I was going to be a professional uh, player or even a, a, a college player. But that's how I got away from my parents fighting and the issues with my father. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, there's a piano and I hear Elton John and all hell breaks loose and uh, everything theatrical and, and, and musical in me came out. Gotcha. You know what I mean? But it was just a, it was a weird uh, childhood to distance myself from my my uh, my parents fighting, uh, which was just horrible. I just became immersed in sports. I was the oldest of, of six kids. And, geez, I'd grab my younger brothers and play. I drove them nuts. You know, I, I I play tackle football with my sister just because I just I just it just got me away from the disaster and the dysfunction of the Irish Catholic upbringing upbringing at that time. Gotcha. So yeah. you, it was a tumultuous household. Oh, it was it was really rough. I mean, uh, we, we were homeschooled, which was great. My mother tried to keep it together, but my dad was a daily daily drinker, and it got progressively worse. Mm. Uh, he was a chronic uh, a drinker, and as, you don't know what's going on when you're a kid. You just notice that the mood swings are just you, you don't know. One day you're having a blast and laughing, and then in one second, you know you're getting spanked, and then nothing makes any sense. Wow! So when you start to slowly figure it out, I just kind of push myself away. Uh, from the dinner table, so to speak, and I would just run. I like Forrest Gump, even. I would just run from that pain. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but and it was such a weird direction to take sports because I I didn't start playing piano till I was 17, 18. I didn't pick up the guitar till I was twenty or twenty one. That's a weird way. This is my profession now. Yeah. You know. And sometimes I look back and a, and a regret of mine is, geez, I would have been nice to have piano lessons when I was five, six, seven years old. Right. And I could have got them, but. No, I wanted nothing to do with the theatrical world. But when I started to play piano, I heard Benny and the Jets on the radio, and I, I, I got so jealous of that. Oh, I got to play it. I would spend seven, eight hours a day uh, playing piano whenever I could. I would do it for a couple hours at school. I'd hide myself away, mm-hmm. and I would sing a little bit. This is, all the, this is the whole time I'm a jock, and I have this secret life. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, your wit starts to I, I was always a smart aleck, don't get me wrong, yeah. in, even in sports. But all that came out in just one blast, like almost my senior year. In fact, our chorus uh, teacher, a uh, chorus instructor, heard me singing Elton John and asked me to be in the chorus. And my, and she gave me three solos. And my sister was like, what? The? She's been with me. She hasn't gotten a solo in four years. All of a sudden, Pat just waltzes in. But I, I, just, I just exploded. I mean, I just it. it once it, it's interesting when it comes to you like that, because then, then the sports obsession, which was never going to pan out, then it became a musical obsession, and I okay. would I would woodshed. And Did I, you wean off of sports, or no, was it, it just a where you just done? It was cold turkey. Gotcha. It was, you know, we had a I, can't, I we had an incredible football program. It was intense, uh, and the track track program was intense. But my senior year, I started to uh, not be so obnoxious and be try to be charming with women. So now I was starting to actually date because people were scared of me. I had a big mouth. They would think, geez, if, he, if I kiss the guy, he's going to tell the whole, you know. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I started to learn how to be charming, and uh, and being in some high school plays allowed that to kind of blossom, you know, uh, which is it, which is an amazing thing. I just wish I'd started it earlier because I was a, a quiet, uh, sullen, smart-ass kid and really focused on the sports. Yeah. Did your parents support your athletics? No. My dad would stay home and watch Notre Dame football games, and he would not go to my high school football games. We were 11-0 and my sophomore year, and the toast of the, the whole northeastern Pennsylvania. And, well, you were a talented player. Well, you know what? I, it was all through hard work. I mean, I honestly trained like I, it was the Olympics. You know, yeah. It was just uh, my, jeez, uh, I would run to school 3.9 miles and run after. Uh, it was all hard work. I just, my mother was sort of athletic, but I just worked But you were hard. good. I was real good, yeah, yeah. yeah. And did your mother have a theatrical background like your she father? She did. She did. She went to Purdue and had, was the theater major. And when my dad got his master's at Purdue, uh, they met. 
Uh, and then they had me shortly thereafter, and her college career and theatrical career came to a sort of a, a professional stop. But she always did the amateur stuff, and my dad would even tell me, he goes, your mom was the real deal. I, my dad was sort of a very self-conscious actor, a great director, but my mom was the real thing. She was incredible. When you're a family member, you can see through people's, and you can see through your family's kind of tricks. I, when I would watch my brother in a play, when I would watch my mother, she would completely lose herself in a part. And I would watch my own mother and go, I don't even know who I'm watching. But when I would see my dad, I'd go, oh, self-conscious. He's acting. Okay, yeah. 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 And I saw them do a lot of stuff as a kid. When you were born, do you think your dad, was it just a given that your mom would sacrifice that dream or that career uh, rather than your father? Or do you think they had discussions about it? I think they both sacrificed their career. I think uh, what I have tried to do in my life is not to uh, teach. My uncle was really funny, mm -hmm. uh, probably the funniest person in our family. I mean, and he uh, ended up just teaching and it just kind of made him miserable. He had his doctorate. He taught at Rutgers and Princeton, and he was really funny and a really good performer. And I think he could have made it, uh, but he and I, my dad could have directed, uh, but they never uh, took that chance. They took teaching jobs. My grandfather, who was a coal miner, uh, uh, sent them both to college, which was unheard of for a poor Irish, you know, orphan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, to to send them both to college, you know. Wow. So, so they they kept the straight and narrow. They did not go for the dream. Out of and fear I, or necessity? What do you think? I, I don't honestly know. Maybe a little bit of both, but I saw it both crush them and left them penniless later on in their lives. Both of them had horrible uh, the last three years of their life um, when they got to, like my dad got to retirement um, age. And, uh, and my uncle just, he, well, he got sick at the end and just was miserable. And these guys were had a lot going for them, a lot of passion yeah. for the theater. But they they opted for the teaching route, you know, uh, the teaching route, and uh, you know to raise families. But they weren't both of them weren't that involved in their families. I saw them really regret uh, some choices they made, I and I, I I never wanted to to do to do that. Okay, do you think your dad liked being a dad? Uh, I don't know. I think later on in life he enjoyed the three younger ones, but he had a real tough time with the drinking with the three older ones. Uh, my mom and he got divorced when I was sixteen. It was brutal. And, um, you know, the three older ones, my sister even lived next door instead of with my dad her senior year so she could remain at that high school. It was a complete mess, you know, when my mom finally, you know, had left. So it was it was crazy. her decision. Oh, yeah. She she um, she asked me my senior year. She said, uh, uh, your dad th knows I'm leaving this summer, but he doesn't know he's she he's, he's going to assume that I'm going to stick around for your graduation. I have a plan. Do you mind if I sneak out in the middle of the night a week before your graduation. I'm going to miss your graduation. I said, Mom, you got to do whatever you got to do. Yeah. And so she uh, she planned it all. He had a rehearsal uh, for uh, Taming of the Shrew, uh, Shakespearean play. Yeah, and, oh, sure, uh, sure. And, <laughs> and we had a dinner where I knew that once Dad was leaving and we were packing up the station wagon, she was taking my dad's car and heading to South Bend, Indiana with the three younger ones, and the three older ones were left behind. So it was a complete split of the family. And my mom left in the middle of the night. My dad came home at 10 o'clock. You know, I'm laying in the bed just waiting for hell to break loose. <laughs> oh, man. And he came home and, where's your mother? Yeah. And I went, well, she left. Did you help her? <laughs> well, I loaded the car with her. Get out! <laughs> and so he threw the three of us out yeah. in the rain. It, was, it couldn't have been more dramatic. So where did the three of you go at that time? Well, uh, my two sisters were younger than I were. I was. And they uh, they weren't aware of the situation, so they were bringing stuff like uh, clothing. And my sister took one of her art. Uh, she had a, a drawing. I said, and I told them both, I don't think you guys realize you're going to have to leave that. You can come back for it later. We need to walk about four miles to my friend Fred's house. Yeah. In the rain at 10 o'clock at night because my dad threw us out. So, <laughs> so we walked to my, my friend Fred's house. We stayed there that night, then went to my grandmother's. Okay. And then all of us, and then no one was with dad ever again. It was like, it was. Never lived with him again. No, I mean, on and off. I went back to live with my dad, and I stayed in his basement for a while, and we tried to, uh, you know, uh, get our relationship back going. And we did. It, it took a while, though. Okay. It took him uh, to being sober and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, he never really came clean or uh, 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 took responsibility. But we, we at least weren't, you know, arguing, and, you know, you kind of have a certain forgiveness after a while. Did he uh, get sober on his own, or did he go through... Uh... No, he got incredibly sick. He got his, 
he had cirrhosis and he had his spleen was messed up. He had esophagus issues and he was in the hospital and he had an operation on his spleen. And the doctor says, you ever drink again, you're going to die. Wow. So that, uh, and he, uh, he of course, never had a problem. And I mean, he just okay. was, never come, came to terms with it. No, gotcha. did not like talking about it. But boy, even we would be ripping it up on a Thanksgiving, like on Wednesday before Thanksgiving, you know, you get back with your family. And he was, you know, he was around a lot of heavy uh, binge drinking and never once, uh, and, and never once, you know, he was just, you know, yeah. not, not drinking. Was your mom a drinker? No, no, my mom has the most, she has a little grasshopper, she has half of it, and she's giddy for the <laughs> next three days. She's one of those people who can have half a drink and, and not finish it. I thought, that's a, you don't do that with our side yeah. of the family. You know? <laughs> so she liked, wasn't your mom the, the woman who, she was walking down the sidewalk and she came across a grasshopper on the sidewalk? <laughs> and she said, you know, there's a drink named after you? And the grasshopper said, there's a drink named Irving? <laughs> I like that. That's a classic. That's a good joke. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that at first. I had only, I had never heard of uh, somebody actually drinking a grasshopper. I'm only familiar with it from that joke. You could only get my mom to like hang out if you did something exotic. Like, well, what if we order you a Harvey Wallbanger, mom? <laughs> well, I'll try that. <laughs> But if it was a beer or something like that my dad was associated with. Or, wow. Or a highball like my grandmother drank. Okay. Then she, you know, she experienced a lot more of the trauma than, than we did, you know. Yeah. You know, I had to break these two up when I was a kid. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff went down. That's tough. Yeah. So, uh, and my mom's mom uh, was 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 a big drinker. So she was very careful about being just a social drinker. And her brother was also like that. He was totally not like the Godwin side of the family. I mean, I think out of all six of us and uh, all six uh, of my brothers and sisters, we're all pretty. We've all been pretty wild at times. Did you all? Uh, would you? So for a while there, it was you and uh, the two sisters blow you. Because yeah. you keep you've been referring to the older and the younger, what was uh, the separation there? What was well, it was uh, I'm the oldest, and then we have Kate, then we have Shalene, and then then we have James, the artist who's in New York, Jack, my, the chef, and Margaret, Margaret who owns a yoga place in New York City. They were the three younger ones. So your mom did your mom uh, take more to the the three younger? No, no, no. You, you know what? She really kept involved in all of our lives. Her and I are very, very, very close. And I kind of walked her through that whole situation because she really had a rough go of it. She had to stay with her mom when they got back there in like a one-bedroom apartment with mm -hmm. three kids. And I would go back there to hang out with her, you know, when I was on college break. And uh, you have to understand that I had that summer I came to Indianapolis area and lived with my uncle over in Plainfield, Indiana, then went to school at my dad's school with him still actively drinking, you know, beer behind the lectern at 8 o'clock in the morning, introduction to theater. Wow. Yeah. Was this a university? Or was uh, King's, this King's College? Okay, yes, yeah. yeah. So you went to. I went where to my dad's teaching. school because I had a scholarship because yeah. I was, uh, you know, he taught there. So I was able to get a scholarship. So in, that in a class like that, would you know he was drinking and but no other student knew? Or... Uh, I don't think other students knew, but I, I knew, and I, ref I I knew all the material. Keep in mind, we were homeschooled, and I also— Until about when? Maybe we were—I was home—mom would homeschool us after school, and we'd go to school and be homeschooled. I don't know if I—we'd go to regular school. Oh, okay. And, and then mom would have uh, music lessons and the stuff that they missed at the, in, the, in junior high. I, My I mom see, would yeah. fill in the artistic blanks. Gotcha. And sit us down in chairs. I was like, and teach us how to knit and like wow. things we may need. And I, would, I remember telling my mom, "Mom, I'm never going to need to know how to knit. Yeah. If I need a sweater, I'll go to Walmart. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to. I mean, we'd be knitting." And so I was. She was insanely. Uh, it was, she really wanted us to have some sort of just other knit, kind of, Patrick. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember it well. Yeah. And music lessons and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the history of it. The history of music and the history of art and things like that. So did the did you and your siblings get closer uh, at times of uh, the, during the rough times, or would you say you all kind of went off on your own and did your own thing? Or because I know that your siblings are you've got painters and you've got chefs and you yeah. and you've everybody sort of artistic, or, or they've got these other you know they've got these yeah. passions. Would you run off? Would you guys scatter, or would you uh, come together during a, a big argument at home, or? We would we would come together, but you have to understand. And I, in my in my particular family, there's always someone who's not speaking to someone. And uh, Thanksgivings and those kind of parties were really funny at my house because everybody's incredibly funny. Yeah. And the the fellas know how to take a joke and obviously how to how to tell one. 
But the but the but my sisters, <laughs> two of them incredibly witty. I have one sister who's in, really a really normal Martha Stewart type. She's in jail now. She's been in jail for ten years. <laughs> no, no. She she's like the only Kate's the really only normal one, so she can really get her feelings hurt. And she's not a she's not witty. She's just like a normal loving mom, and she's artistic in her own way. But Shalene's really kind of funny. But boy, if you would tease my sisters, and it got you crossed the line. Then all hell would break loose. Gotcha. So it was very, very up and down. Yes. Through the hard times. So were your parents funny? Uh, no. Not my, not a lot of... Uh... My dad would try to be funny, and my dad knew funny. Yeah. And my dad was a great audience, and he would love turning you on to art, but he was not, and boy, he would try. to be. He was not a, a funny guy. He was a really a studious guy. He had a great work ethic for uh, what he did. Um, uh, but he wasn't funny like my uncle. It was my uncle uh, who was really funny, and my brothers are, are really funny like my Uncle Jimmy. So when you grew up, who were you trying to make laugh? My Uncle Jimmy. Okay. Yeah, in fact, I bought a joke book one time, and I was just, uh, it was uh, it was a comeback joke book, you know, like uh, insults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was just sick and tired of always besting me, because he was so funny. So I remember just doing some bad comeback. And he, would, you, would you buy a joke book? He knew. He, he, <laughs> he called you he out called on me it. out on it. That's how, my uncle would get into so much trouble. I would just wait at weddings to, for him to mess up. Yeah. Because he was just hilarious. He really, he would work the room. He When he finally came to see me do stand-up down in Florida, you know, I, I remember telling him, I said, man, you could have did this. And he looked at me and goes, no, no, I could never do what you do. He goes, you have to understand that you've really put the time in. You are the guy. He, I don't think he realized that all he had to do was put the time in, too. And yeah. He would have been the guy. Wow. Yeah, he was really funny. But my dad, not funny at all. Okay. No, no, very, oh, God, he would try. But he knew funny. He knew funny. Did you like hearing him laugh? I loved hearing him laugh. And, you know. What would make him laugh at home? What would he watch? Oh, my God, Monty Python. Uh, oh, he, really? He and I okay. bonded over money. He he liked the good stuff. Yeah. He would turn me on to the English comedy, um, you know, Dudley Moore stuff with Peter Cook. Mm-hmm. All really, really high-class funny stuff that had real wit and intelligence to it that he would turn me on to. And we would howl over stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and that you know, that got us away from how disastrous the rest of, uh, of that situation was, is that he really, he could enjoy... Man, you know, he would go bravo at home. He would stand up. You know how when you and I will do something funny, we'll give each other a bravo. Or you'll see me clap. That was my dad. My dad would clap at the Tony Awards at home in front of a TV. Yes, I saw it. You know, no, that's, that's, what, that's who he was. Yeah. He was the best audience. But darn, he could not perform and was the most self-conscious, bitter, regretful kind of a person when it came to his own, like, performance. What do you think he was so regretful about in his performance? Uh, I just think he was self-conscious that it knew that he couldn't do it that well and always wanted to. Gotcha. Um, I think he really w- would have liked to have been an actor some, uh, uh, you know, when he was younger. Now you mentioned if your uncle Jimmy had put in the time, he could have been a great comedian. If your dad had, do you think it was a lack? No, of, my my dad didn't something have something else. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he was really one of the, he's one of those guys. There are some people who direct and who teach, and that was my dad. Yeah. The reason I, I uh, am asking all of you know, about you growing up and uh, who did you like to make laugh and who. Um, is because what you eventually chose a career where you make people laugh, and that must stem from something. Yeah, I know. When I was growing up, uh, if anything, I loved hearing my dad laugh, and he laughed a lot, and he was very funny, and so so he was the guy I would try to make laugh, yeah. just because it was such a great feeling, and um, uh, that that feeling when you're a kid of making a grown up laugh must have some. I mean, that must be the catalyst for becoming a comedian. It, 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 I always wanted to please my father and make him laugh, which, you know, it, it, he never would. And we, boy, and he, him not coming to football games, oh, that's stuck in my craw. So when I first started to uh, do well as a comedian and come back to the area and perform, uh, I would have my brother open for me. He would do puppets and stuff. He would kill. Then we did uh, the McGonagall brothers, the priests of protest. We would dress up as priests. I would have a wig on, and we were like uh, hippie priests who had gone through a change in their life. And so we were fighting for uh, reform in the Catholic Church. That was our bit. The McGonagall Brothers. Yes. We, we had songs like Pad the Pews and <laughs> Release Me in My Dreams. And, <laughs> and it was a funny little 20 minutes. And yeah. no one would know it was me. We were with we had Irish 
accents. So my brother would open. The McGonagall brothers would do 10, and I would headline. And my Where'd di- you do this? This would be in Wilkes-Barre. Okay. We, 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 when we also did it in South Bend, and we would do it at family uh, Thanksgivings or Christmases so we could all be together. Yes. And James and I would then drag our butts out and perform somewhere and make some money. But my this is my dad's first time seeing something like this, and darn it if he didn't just explode and... Like, he laugh at my brother and laugh at me and laugh at us. And he had such great notes afterwards. Oh, that's great. And my favorite story is we, perform, <laughs> we performed at his, his school. And we packed this auditorium because they promoted the heck out of it. Yeah. His sons are performing. Mm-hmm. And we do our act. He's, and by the way, he's on HBO in the show High Maintenance. You can see his, his puppets and stuff in that. I think he's in episode uh, eight. And he worked, uh, did he work for Henson for yeah, a while? Yeah, he works for Henson. Yeah. Uh, he was almost Kermit. He was third in line to be the new Kermit, but he didn't get that. I don't think he nailed the voice. Okay. Uh, they, they got rid of, uh, well, of course, Henson did the original Kermit. And then I don't know. the. Exa- Brian did it for a while. Brian Henson, right? I, no, I don't think so. I think oh, it he was didn't. somebody. Uh, I think it was somebody different, but I'm not quite sure. Okay. But uh, my brother Jimmy was in line to get that and didn't get it. But he still he still works with Henson, does a lot of those puppets. Um, but it, so we, this is the show. It's Jimmy. And Jimmy, my, my son, my, my son, my brother's my brother's puppets are uh, just brilliant. He's he really good. Yeah. And the McGonagall's things was tight. Because my, my brother and I really know how to work work with each other. Yeah. And then uh, uh, my favorite story, my dad is we're at his, uh, at his college in the theater. And we have two shows because we packed this place because the promotion. Yeah. It was the, every, everyone. And it was just wonderful. It was well set up, well lit. Because my dad made sure it was, it was like a comedy club. He had a whole, he made sure <laughs> Brother Jim Miller, who was the scene, scene designer there, he would uh, make sure it was all perfect. So uh, my dad's there the first show, I think in the third row. And we killed him. And I remember going, gosh, it's so good to see him get this and to be proud of this. He yeah. couldn't be more prouder. Yeah. So um, second show, I, I don't see dad. I know, There's like booths up there where I know that the direct, my dad used to be when he would watch the plays. He's not up there because I knew this theater. I grew up in this theater. And after the show, after the show, he comes wandering out of the backstage area. I said, where, where were you that show? Well, I was sitting right behind you two nuts. I wanted to listen to what you're saying. I didn't want to be uh, blown away by the physicality of it. I wanted to hear the script of it. Oh. And, and, he goes, and I loved it. He goes, keep writing. <laughs> you know, but he meant that in a good way. Yes, Because it's, it's when I had first date. I would close with first date. And he loved that, that, that big band thing. Yeah. And he took me aside. He goes, God, your grandmother would have loved that song. Oh. And he said, keep writing. I'm yeah. gonna, there's gonna tears gonna come to my Yeah, eye. yeah. He wanted to, he didn't want to see the physicality of it. Because my brother Jimmy is really physically funny. Okay, yeah. I'm not funny like my brother Jimmy physically. He can really move and get a laugh. You know? And my dad wanted didn't want to be blown away by that. He wanted to hear the script. Amazing. And he <laughs> yeah. had the and he had the opportunity. Yeah. Two shows in yeah. a row. He sat in the back. I yeah. was dad. Yeah, I was back in a chair just listening <laughs> to you two nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I love you two nuts. Which he meant in the sweetest way possible. Yeah, and that you know, and then my family overanalyzes and talks in a good way about stuff, and I do too. You and I got together for Thanksgiving, and it's shop talk, and it's all fun stuff about the show. And my dad was like that too. So, yeah. what, and I couldn't have been prouder. We would come back to Dad's house, and all he would do would talk about when you went to that one woman. Was that planned? Was that on that? Well, I did have that is something. I, he would when he wanted to know the mechanics of how his his sons went out there in the world. And then we're able to craft what he saw in vaudeville uh, growing up. What he saw, my grandmother was a singer, so he saw a lot of stuff. He goes, how did you two, how did you two learn that stuff? I said, we got up on stage and, and did it. Like you know, you got to get up there. Yeah, and then you, that's those things come to you. You know. Yeah, that's and you were happy to answer them. I would have stayed up till uh, whenever he wanted. I, I would stay up and just talk to him about it at length. This is where the, the, the details of the comedy, because he would ask these great questions. Yeah. Now, when you went to the one you did the like you and I know we've talked and you've teased me on the air about the Springsteen improv thing. It's it's really a magic trick. I have that music set and I, I don't place things in where the rhyme should be. It's a trick. The names are just kind of. Uh, and dad would ask me about now that Springsteen thing. Now, what he wanted to know where the rabbit was. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, Dad, that's just a melody I have. And uh, if you notice the names and stuff, they're not the things that rhyme. You know, I don't. they don't need to rhyme. They can. You, right, but, right. Yeah, so it's stuff like that. And you know what? I've seen I've seen you perform that, <laughs> that uh, we'll say, trick. It's a trick. Uh, a dozen times. I still don't quite know where the rabbit is. <laughs> and I'm not going to look any further. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. one of those things where I think I, where... I've kind of made a, a decision not to look too hard for the rabbit. Yeah. I just want to enjoy it. And I do. And 
My dad would often ask me about comedy. He was he was fascinated. Did he get to see you uh, perform a he lot? He did. Yeah, yeah. He I mean, he got to see me perform when I was little and all, but he did get to see me do stand up. In fact, um he would if I were performing in St. Louis, he he would pretty much be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um he must have been so proud because you're very, very good and you're so likable for uh, to see uh, you know to see one of his sons get up in front of people even yeah and, and have that work that's got to be a thrill for a parent. He's they, my, my, both my parents very proud, right. very but very proud of uh, all of us. You know what I mean? He they were just happy to see us uh, do what we wanted to do and be happy. It and, was and nice to, to meet well. your dad when he came, when he came through because he was really a gentle soul. He was really really I could just see how proud he was of you and having him here that day. That was a great day. My dad, uh, 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 thank you, and he he was happy to meet you because and I think I've told you. I, I, he would. There were times where he would call me after a show, and he'd either go, "I can't believe you guys got away with that," or, <laughs> yeah, or whatever. <laughs> and he he would go, "That you know that that Godwin's a talented man." <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, so, that was sort of at the beginning of my uh, my start my start here. Even though I've been a guest on the show and a good buddy of Tom's, you know that was kind of at the beginning of it when I was just sort of feeling my way. You know, so yeah, it's, we, ni- it's nice to get a compliment like that because then it kind of you know. Yes, yeah, and he, when my dad would ask me about comedy, I was the kind of the opposite of you. I don't know why I was like this, and I'm still kind of like this, but it was a, I, I didn't like to talk about it. Hmm. Um, I would I would go, yeah, yeah, I would, you know, he's like, where are you, where will you be this weekend? Oh, Wisconsin. Oh, what's the club like there? And I'll, And he really wanted to know, and I regretfully wasn't all that open about it. I was pretty short and vague. What do you think that was? I, in my... The, the first thing that comes to my head is, and I would tell my dad this, I'd go, I just want you to enjoy the show. I don't, don't worry about, oh, you know, yeah. uh, the back stuff. Just, just enjoy. And he went, well, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm your father. I like to know these things. <laughs> but I fought it. And I, I don't totally know why. I, I, yeah, I don't. But I am, I am uh, regretful that I wasn't more, you know what, Pop? Let's, yeah, let's just go. Uh, for whatever reason. And now, even now, if my mom sat me down and asked me the similar questions or, or my brother, I, I, I'm not that wide open with it. Well, you know, I think my dad, uh, he probably was the cheapest man I've ever met because he came up in the, the Depression. So my dad would go to New York and walk, uh, geez, uh, all the way across the city for the cheapest hamburger. He got the ha- this really cheap hamburger at the same place, parked at the same place. He would go to the Metropolitan Opera every Monday. <laughs> but he did it because Monday was the cheapest day. And uh, <laughs> But my dad knew not to bore me with that because his son was – I am uh, the I am so Irish. You put money in my pockets and it flies out like I'm on shore leave. <laughs> I uh, I'm a caricature. I've got a guitar, uh, drinking issues in the past. I, you I couldn't be more Irish. And my dad is, is knew not to bore me with. Oh, what are you paying for gas out there? Because you know, you, we, we could talk about the show, but we're not talking about because I don't know what I pay for gas out there. My yeah. dad very different in that in that respect. And my brother has picked is 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 cheap like him too. My one brother, it's hilarious. <laughs> but the other brother, not so much. <laughs> my brother, the chef, is a very talented train wreck. <laughs> so you uh, make this transition in your high school days from uh, athlete to performer. Yeah. Uh, you said that your folks didn't necessarily come to your athletics. Did they start coming to your performances? Uh, I mean, I know that he went to these shows later on, but did he? Did they start right away? Start coming to your performances? Well, I, uh, my dad directed me in a play, in a play, uh, Apple Tree, and then the other person uh, who um, uh, was there, uh, Doctor Carl Wagner, uh, did uh, Romeo and Juliet. So my first, uh, my first year, they obviously all all came to that. My mom didn't because she was back, you know, in South Bend, Indiana, and we were in Wilkesbury. Uh, but it was so uh, horrible uh, my freshman year. Uh, I didn't go to my dad's introduction to theater class because I knew it all already, and I got A's in all the tests because I was I, I had this I grew up with this material. I yeah. knew it yeah. inside and out. But he gave me an F because I didn't show up in class. <laughs> yeah, and I said, "You have to be kidding me!" And I said, "I said I got an A in every test, but you didn't show up. You embarrassed me." And then I said, "Well." You drinking behind the podium embarrassed me. That happened first semester. Yeah. And then it just got worse. So at the end of that year, I said bye-bye to college, and I took an internship at a theater uh, place called Kenley Players in Ohio and started my illustrious 
uh, <laughs> troubadourish, uh, uh, wandering homeless lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I became honestly um, an urchin of the streets at that point. I just survived on pure instinct, homeless. Worked at a retirement home out in L.A. washing dishes for my room and board. I didn't have a dime in my pocket. Played all day. I knew it was going to work out somehow if I just became, if I never quit. And yeah. That's what sports taught me is that you were taught to be tough and not quit the season. And that instilled in me to this day. This is why I'm, I'm doing this because there are many times in my life where I should have really gotten another job. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, maybe thought about other people. <laughs> but I just could not quit this and, you know. So, Pat Godwin, uh, retirement home dishwasher for room and board. You're living yeah. in a retirement home. Well, I left I left King's College, and I went to Kenley Players in Ohio. And that year, I worked with Henry Winkler, Vincent Price, Paul Lind. And <laughs> I picked up Paul Lind at the airport. <laughs> I took took him to his. Uh, I took him to his. Uh, it was actually a trailer outside of the theater in um, Columbus, Ohio, on High Street, and uh, they hadn't cleaned it up yet. So he and his partner, and they had both had dogs. And, and they both had little dogs. And, this, and, and he walks into the, the. They hadn't cleaned it yet. He goes, "This place smells like vagina." I think. <laughs> But he didn't use the word vagina. He used oh, the P word. Okay. And I have never laughed. I He, he killed me. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, I could picture you dropping no, on no. the ground. Those two guys were drunk, and I picked them up in my blue Volkswagen station wagon, and he was already making, oh, look at this. This is high class. <laughs> and I had Paul Lind in my car, and I'm driving around. And I'm all of 17 because I graduated. You have to. I graduated a year early. Okay. Because uh, my parents started me a year early. Oh, I don't. I wish I had an extra year in high school, even for sports, but I didn't. And uh, so I'm out there and I'm working for Kenley Players. I swear to God. And then the last, uh, the last show is is Mitzi Gaynor. So you got Vincent Price, Henry Winkler, uh, Harvey Harvey Corman. Wow. In fact, Har- Harvey Corman was going through a divorce. He was in a play called Norman Is That You, and he was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, do you know the movie Roger and Me? Yes. Well, there's a theatrical guy in that that, that kind of comes off very bad. Uh, yes, here in Flint, Michigan, we have dancers. I don't know if you remember that scene. I don't. That's the guy. Okay. That's the guy from my hometown who ran the Kenley Players, Joe Visby. And he's kind of really set up in that movie to look like a buffoon, and he does. But uh, Mitzi Gaynor. That's literally the guy. That's the guy. Okay. Yeah. All and right. Roger and me in the documentary. Um, that uh, Michael Moore did, the guy who uh, is very fey uh, man who ran the Kenley Players, mm-hmm. and he had very, it was a very uh, fey uh, people around him. Um, uh, and uh, I was not, I was coming out of a sports background, and I was kind of shocked at how crazy theatrical it was, let's, let's put it. <laughs> yeah. And so was Harvey Gorman. <laughs> Everyone was very flamboyant. Okay. All the interns were pretty boys and flamboyant. And, <laughs> sure. and uh, there I was getting quite an education. <laughs> And Harvey Corman comes up to me, first his first day there. He goes, "I'm gonna, I'm going through a divorce. I'm gonna be going to Max and Irma's every night after the show. Uh, I, I've been looking around. Uh, you are the only straight person here. Is that correct?" I said, "I think so. <laughs> You're coming with me." And he and I hung out the whole week drinking. That, that was like it was, it was a blast. Yes. So I got to and imagine meeting Vincent Price in your 17 years oh, old. Oh, geez, you know? yeah, yeah. And he was in Damn Yankees and Pia Zadora. Uh, was La- Lola? Yeah, and she was terrible, and she was horrible. And Vin- I, I remember walking over and introducing myself. It's a pleasure to meet you, Vincent Price. And he says to me, "So did you f- Pia yet?" <laughs> <laughs> and I—that's all he said because he and I said, no, uh, no, "I haven't had that opportunity yet." <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> He was real. He was real fun. This is great. So you're part of a troupe of actors. These yeah. big, bigger names would come in yeah. and uh, star in these uh, plays. And yeah. Uh, yeah, how long did you do that? I did it for the one summer, and the final show was the Mitzi Gaynor show. Now, she was a star of South Pacific, and she had a singer that gets sick, and she auditioned all the interns, and then she just gave, I got this gig to go on the road and, be, and become one of her background singers. And there were guys that danced, and then there were five guys who sort of moved with microphones. I was one of them. I am a horrible dancer and we were dressed very frilly and uh, silly <laughs> and uh, I could barely get the moves down. I had the voice to be able to do it, but that's what she auditioned. But just, she didn't just see how bad of on such a self-conscious. I hate to dance. I am. No, I've never <laughs> liked dancing. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't. I'm not good at it. My brothers are great at it. I'm, I'm just not. I don't get up at weddings. I don't dance. Okay. But Missy Gaynor, I danced and that last 
lasted a very short time because her tour was ending like halfway through the summer. So halfway through the summer, I'm out in L.A. and I don't have a job anymore. I got paid 500 bucks a week. I bought a Triumph Spitfire. And um, then all of a sudden, I wasn't making, you know, $500 a week. And I went, uh-oh, I'm out in L.A. And uh, I just saw an ad for, uh, you know, for room and board. Uh, you could wash dishes. And they had a piano in the basement. And all I did was for a whole year, I would play piano and guitar uh, eight hours a day and then do my washing the dishes things, sleep in my room, and go back and what's called woodshedding. So keep in mind, I haven't played at back home at all. Uh, no one knows that I even play piano or guitar. And now all of a sudden, when you put eight hours a day into anything, you don't realize incrementally you get pretty good after a while because you're putting in the you're putting you know you're almost ten thousand hours. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of that year of woodshedding and working at the retirement home and not being able to go out because I didn't have a dime in my pocket, so not really homeless, just you know. You joined Mitzi Gaynor and you're out of the road. Are you guys doing theaters? Oh, yeah, Westbury Music Fair, huge theaters, outdoor stuff. Uh, that didn't last too long. It was maybe four or five, five months. But you did a TV appearance, right? Yes, yeah, we did uh, We did Carson. We did The Tonight Show. We did the Yankee Doodle Medley. How old were you and during this? I would have had to have been 17. So 17 yeah. on Carson's yeah. Tonight Show. As a background singer, yeah. You yeah. must have been beside yourself. Well, I, you know, uh, yes, I was. I was a fan of the show because I would listen to it through the wall my parents were laughing, and I would just kind of, you know, this, yeah. it, what was that, 1130, I think, when we were kids. So I'm definitely not getting any sleep. But I was fascinated by that show. And anytime I could catch a little bit of it, to, so to see it in person. And then after that experience, I would go and watch it. I think you and I have had this conversation before. I would, I lived close to there in Toluca Lake. I would walk down. to My Triumph Spitfire crapped out at that point. I would walk down and stand in line. It was real easy to get into the show. And I saw a month's worth of shows. Uh, when I wasn't working, I just would go down and see a bunch of shows. The Tonight Show. Yeah, after I did yeah. it, I got a chance to like sit and watch it. You know, see Rickles come on and just God, it was amazing. Very small theater. And yeah, it was, and it was it was incredible. Yeah, that's a ama- that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I was a huge fan of it. Mitzi, that that tour takes you to California. I just love the notion that you took this job with her, and then you, you're on the road. You get out to California. She goes, "Okay, that's it," and you go, "Oh." I'm out of money, and I can't. <laughs> Here I am in L.A. You know, uh, for some, I don't know why I've been so unwise. I see you navigate through life, and you're a, you're a lot better than I am. You do have things in place. I'm not a guy that has things in place like that. I find myself. Maybe I put myself in these dangerous situations because I want to write about them. I'm going to write about them. I do write about them. And it's a little reckless and uh, not a great way to live your life. No, but it's there's a romantic notion to there the, is. to that yeah, uh, that type of life. Um, I remember there's not YouTube back then. there's there's a, there was there was a record player, and I would put James Taylor on and learn how to finger pick Beatles, Steely Dan, whatever had good chord structure. I learned that all instinctively. Uh, just by woodshedding, spending that time, you know, yeah. homeless, basically. If I had money to go out and to meet the ladies and to hang out, uh, that would have been fine. But there were also girls that were washing uh, dishes for room and board who I would dally with that were at the uh, Wilshire the Wilshire Retirement Home on Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, Kipling Retirement Home, it was called, actually, on Wilshire Boulevard. Wow. So yeah, no longer there. You're, are you solely working for room and board? That's it. No okay. money in my pocket. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't do extra shifts and get money. You get a room and a roommate. Oh, they had a basement with a piano where I would go and hide. That 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 was their kind of community room. Who was, was your roommate? That was their Jorge, who was not happy with how messy I was at that time. <laughs> <laughs> you must pick your clothes up at the floor. I, I, I remember him having this crazy Mexican accent, accent and being very annoyed with me. <laughs> uh, you play guitar all night. I can't take it. <laughs> Because I would, I would lay in bed and play. Stop! <laughs> I drove everybody nuts. I would play guitar if I had, had a, if I were, had a chance to go home. I'd play guitar while they were watching TV. Or my family was watching TV. I would just do the, the chords silently. Yeah. Because I knew I had all this time to catch up if I wanted to play in the clubs. Because I never rehearsed. I didn't. I didn't take lessons as a kid. I would drive my family nuts. Playing, you know, well, you know how I obsessively play when I was in the corner. Oh, yeah, we'll tease you about I, I, that. Yeah. <laughs> or one of the things we do now is we watch yeah. on the screen you in their room with, oh, well, Pat's working on something. 
<laughs> yeah, and I act them out sometimes, and I kind yes. of sing them. And yeah. Yes. Well, imagine just playing guitar and, or even just fingering the chords the, the, while you're watching TV with your family. You know, you, stop it! Plink, <laughs> <laughs> just every, every now and again, just strumming and plinking. Yeah. So you, this, that was your main education. Would you, would you say that? Yeah. Working at this retirement home for room and board. So you're not. When you say you're homeless, you're not in the streets. Nope. But you uh, you don't have your own place. You're, you're living there, and you're not really accruing any money. Um, nope. But you're accruing this education. You're you're teaching yourself guitar. You're doing the woodshedding. You're um, playing piano. And you're learning comedy by going and watching The Tonight Show live. And I would go to the comedy clubs. I would go to the comedy store back then and see Letterman, you know, and see Howie Mandel. I saw him do that act that we all know with the the thing in his head in that club. And it's funny, um, I never, uh, when I first started to perform serious uh, songs, uh, I was really a nervous guy setting up the songs. The songs were well played and I sang them. uh, So, I'm sorry, so real quick, what was the end game for you at that that point? Was your goal to be... Uh, a comedy writer or a performer or an actor or a I song? went out, I went out as an actor but I was never really good or wanted to put myself through the audition process and I didn't have a car so I went to a little acting school out there and I was ju- I but the music thing sort of took over so the acting thing I wanted to do uh fizzled because I just I'm not a good auditioner uh, you know so I thought oh but then the music took over, yeah. and that became the new uh, obsession that I put my whole passion into. And then I became a serious and very dark singer-songwriter who mumbled and was shy in his song patter until people weren't listening, and I realized, oh, i got to get their attention. And I you know, found my uncle in me, and mm-hmm. I found that Irish in me. I found that my family's heritage of being funny in me. And it came out uh, to get their attention in live performances to the point where the patter was way more entertaining than my song about abortion. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. had, I, lo- I was just going over some of my uh, set. Like I would do uh, four sets a night in the clubs when I started playing in the clubs back east. I, I went back east. And three of them, oh, those 45-minute sets were all original. Then the last hour I would do I would do some covers. I would do Beatles songs, and uh, but I never memorized them properly because I was re- really was so into the songwriting. But you can't, you can't just drag your own songs and force a bar crowd, <laughs> you know. You, you, so I would entertain them, and I would talk in between songs, and then that became humorous, and that became uh, the entertaining part of who I was. But that took a lot of two serious records. And a lot of time in the clubs, practically every night for nine years, eight or nine years. Um, I know you don't. We we tease you about uh, lying about your age. On oh the, yeah, on the yeah. Big show. Yeah. Uh, I so, lied about it when I was twenty five. I would say twenty three. I've been lying since. Okay. Yeah. So, but to set the scene, what era was this? It was the depre- It was the dep- <laughs> what. We were, took wagons. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because oh, I don't know. I, it, was, it was this uh, once upon a time in Hollywood days. The, you know, when or, I was a serious songwriter, it was the wrong time to be a John Mayer, Ed Sheeran, because it was Duran Duran. And okay, it was, it was, it was early eighties. It was. It was. Eight, my first record was eighty two. Okay. Uh, it was an EP called Circle City, which is where we are now, and it was about an Indianapolis uh, situation yeah. that I was involved in, and one of my better songs that got a lot of airplay back east. The sea, the mom, the stone, and watch how wild it's grown. Tough and twisted, something's missing, and it shows. Just a loud one loads our fun. Who'd have thought he'd be the one? Drowning, no more clowning through your line. But there's no one on the beach, no one in the boat. I guess a single swim, too tired to float. All the life guards left them chair. Circle City tonight. 
when it rains, it pours Soft on open sores Yesterday was Never one at a time Whoa. And the calls get you no one's ear Cause no one wants to hear But he cries in a way here comes a tide But there's no one on the beach No one in the boat I guess it's single swell Too tired to float All the lifeguards left in chair I sure ain't looking pretty here in Circle City tonight Yes, I sure ain't looking pretty here in Circle City tonight Yes, I sure ain't looking pretty here in Circle City tonight At the 80s, I was doing the wrong thing. No one wanted to hear an acoustic guitar player. They wanted to hear drum machines. They wanted to see a video. So it was just like, man, I was born either too late or too early. Yes. So I was in a situation where it wasn't uh, really hip. But I, I looking back now, I really drew a crowd. Um, uh, we, we drew a crowd in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Then I took myself down to Philly and went down to the University of Pennsylvania area and hung out at a place called Smokey Joe's and developed this huge uh, following at this Ivy League school. They did articles on me, and I had albums out. And I was a serious songwriter until Todd Glass came into the picture, comedian Todd Glass, because he was from Philly, and mm -hmm. he used to come see me every night, and we were buddies. And he uh, pissed me off one night. He said, uh, you know, I need to tell you something. You are way more entertaining in between the songs than those songs are, and those songs are good. <laughs> and I, I, he goes, you need to do an open mic. And I said, uh, what did you say my song— what you do in between this to get their attention is great and you have presence. That's all you can do the rest. You need to, you know, uh, I need to take you to an open mic. And it took me, it took him two years of cajoling to get me to my first open mic, which opened up every fricking door in the world. And I would have been 31 when I finally did my first uh, comedy open mic, which is um, relatively speaking to other comedians late. That's late, oh late my game. gosh! Yeah, not Rodney Rodney Dangerfield late, right? But late, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a that's a regret because, uh, man, I thought, oh geez, I still have an easier time writing a serious song than I do a funny one because they come to they come naturally. But you know, I, I, they come to me at night while I'm planning. Go well, I can't use that on the show tomorrow. I gotta to lock into the funny and to end it well. Oh man, yeah. As we all know, even a joke, a well crafted joke. They're difficult, yeah. You know, but uh, but 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 a serious thought about something can come. You know, you don't have to get a laugh. You know, you don't know if you're bombing with a serious thought when you're talking to someone. But if you're trying to be funny and you're not getting a laugh, you know. So the serious things came to me easier and still do. One and, one of the interesting things about cr the creative process is you're learning your craft. Yeah, um, you're listening to the Beatles and you're listening to these. Uh, you're listening to. Uh, guitar singer-songwriters. Oh, yeah. So that's what you become. But while you're learning that, the uh, the culture shifts yep. to, as you said, that Duran Duran type yep. sound. I think that happens with a lot of performers where they go, wait a minute, I, I, the, I grew up, that's what I wanted to do, and I practiced and I worked, but now that's not what audiences totally want. No, <laughs> they want to be entertained. And, you know, uh, three or four times at a club, I would notice the waitresses singing along to certain songs. I go, oh, I got this. They get it. And then people start coming back and asking for the serious songs. But it took to be, to be entertaining to get their attention. So that's what I became. I became a wisecracking. Uh, I, I started to really be comfortable. Once you're on, when you're, there was a place called The Station in Wilkesbury that it would have a happy hour, five to nine performer in, in, the, in the one room and then 10 to two and you did four sets. And uh, they hired me for, I would work there seven days a week. And, yeah. And so. So it was, I, uh, uh, in LA, where were you working? 
Or were you? Did you? Oh, did geez. you end up leaving L.A. and, and then- I never, uh, I never got up on stage and got paid in L.A. as a singer songwriter. I got up everywhere. I did hoot nannies, open mics, and all that kind of stuff. But I never got uh, paid for it at all. How did you get from L.A. to Wilkesbury? Uh, from L.A. back to Wilkesbury, yeah. I had to borrow my friends. Well, my uh, st- uh, my stepfather passed away, and I. Uh, Got uh, back to Wilkesbury through a friend's two hundred dollars. Uh, uh, he had a Sunoco card, and I was able to get gas and yeah. get back there somehow. And then uh, once I got back, uh, I realized uh, I was pretty good at the guitar. My mom would go, "You know, you've been gone a year. You're that's really good." And she would take me to some parties and have me play for people. And now I'm eighteen or so, or so. and uh, it went over pretty well. So then I uh, I went to I went to IU for a short period of time and uh, hung out with Ken, uh, was Ken, Kenny Aronoff's uh, buddy. We worked together, the famous drummer. He, I'm like Zella. I, for some reason, I've just run into people that end up being famous who are like my <laughs> friends when they were younger. Yeah. Kenny Aronoff, who's the drummer for John Mellencamp. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, geez, everybody. You, yeah. Uh, he and I worked at the same restaurant when I was 18. So I went from South. My mom pretty much kicked me out. She didn't have room. Okay. I, went, I stayed on my sister's bean bag at IU at McNutt Dormitory. But I ended up sleeping with all her friends in the hall. So she threw me out. <laughs> I'm homeless again, and uh, I have to get a, get a gig now, a real. And uh, they had a dishwasher uh, opening at Sully's Oaken Bucket down in uh, Bloomington, and Kenny Aronoff is the, is the chef. Mm-hmm. And so he introduces me to performing in Bloomington. He was in a band before Mellencamp called Streamwinner. And he was already drumming. So it, Oh, he yeah. was the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he and we used to see John Mellencamp play at the Bluebird and stuff and kind of mock him because he wasn't really John Mellencamp then yet. He was just doing sort of like Springsteen light. You know, we both would, we both would go, oh, Jesus. And then a year later, like I'm back east now and I hear uh, Ain't Even Done With a Night by Mellencamp. I'm like, what? That's great. Yeah. And I look, and there's Kenny on Tom Snyder playing <laughs> yeah. drums. I, the guy who was mocking Mellencamp a year earlier is now the drummer. I went, good for you, you son of a... So it was good for you. Yeah. Some guys would have looked at it and gone, oh, damn it, why not me? Why Why them? No, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was just so thrilled for him. I, I'm the same with you. I'm the same way. Yeah. I see see a buddy of mine or somebody I knew succeed. It's, it's <laughs> because you go, well, first off, there's room enough for all of us, and it happened to them, it could happen to me. Yeah. If so long as I work and do well, the you right. know what that's 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 a great thing that you said because when Kenny had that success and then they exploded hurt so good and Jack and Diane and, yeah you know and that's Kenny and all those videos my buddy we spent a year together in the trenches of this restaurant yes. doing nothing but laughing I we never got work done we didn't get any work done he tried to be he was not his heart was not in being the chef and I was not my heart I would <laughs> sing to him and make him laugh and he he would he was a he's a really charming man. And uh, oh god, he was so funny. He too. sure is. We what? had a, we had a blast. Last time you've talked to him, jeez, uh, when Tom and I uh, went over to uh, see Cream in, in England, uh, uh, we had talked to Kenny because we thought that he might be there because uh, someone had told us that he was there. And I've I uh, we'll have dinner. I ran into him in Broad Ripple here in Indiana, yeah. a, a couple times. But it's been a few years since I've actually touched base with him. But he's played on like every other project of mine. He's always like if he's in. Back east, I'll grab him to play drums on something, and he and he never charges me. It's just he, we have that old bond. Yeah. He, he, so he's played on a song of mine called John Paul George Ringo and Me, and a song called Bills Bills Bills. And uh, I wanted to grab him for this record, but he is uh, he hasn't been around much at all. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a charming, charming. He sure guy. is. I've only spoken to him. I've he, not met him in person. And if you don't know who we're talking about, just Google Kenny Aronoff. He's played at the, the White House. I mean, he's, world class. Uh, yeah, yeah, he really is. Yeah. But imagine us two nuts. Now he would have been twenty four. <laughs> I was seventeen, and, and we almost. You know, here's the first day I work with Kenny Aronoff. I'll tell you a little bit something about Kenny Aronoff. I uh, I meet him. He's charming, and I'm doing the dishes. You know, and by the way, a little steak comes back. A little steak goes in Patty's mouth because I'm not eating. I'm grabbing like old donuts they they put out at the dumpster at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm not even joking. No, I know. That's I know. A, it's amazing. So Kenny would go, yeah, you see a steak. That's what I do. I just grab a little bit of steak. <laughs> right. So all of a sudden, someone's like banging on our kitchen air, the door. And and uh, and Kenny goes, see, see what that's about. So I open the door, and there's this Russian. We had a Russian waitress, and there's this Russian guy. I want to see these Kenny enough. I said, what? <laughs> and uh, I right, hold on. And I go back. There's a Russian guy out there. Duh! 
And, and Kenny, <laughs> tell him I'm not here. And he bolts out the door. And uh, I, so I go, what the hell? Yeah. And I go back out and deal with this Russian guy who's, yeah, I want to see this Kenny Aronoff. So everyone tells me he's been sleeping with my wife. And I'm like, this is the first day. I hope that Kenny doesn't mind. I, we talk about it. But can, can he sleep with the, the Russian waitress? And I, that, my first day, I'm always getting beat up by this Russian guy. I want to see this Kenny Aronoff. And so, no, he's not here. He's not working today. When does he work again? I think he quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I see the woman, the Russian waitress. Oh, she's in the background. And so, ten minutes go by. He leaves, and then Kenny's been back. Is he's been? That's my first day meeting Kenny Aronoff. He's banging the Russian waitress. <laughs> that's so good. And we bonded over that. I still, yeah. When, when, by the way, when we see each other, that's the only. He goes, "How funny is that?" That's the first. What did you think of me? I said, "I thought you were hilarious." <laughs> Tell him I'm not, and I'm not here, and you bolt out the door. <laughs> I want to see this. I want to see who's this Kenny <laughs> He's banging my wife. So funny. He said sleeping with my wife. <laughs> and my eyes get real wide. I loved him. I went, ah, oh, this guy's, guy's going to be nothing but stories. <laughs> yes, yes. I would go see him in Philadelphia. I went to see him. Now, he's, he got a little dissatisfied at the end of his tenure with Mellencamp. And I got to see him as sort of the last year. So I go to the Philadelphia Spectrum, I think it was, and they pack the place and they kill it. Yeah. And Kenny, uh, he knows that I'm there. So he puts, he's, I'm going to put on, he told me before the show, I'm going to put on an electric flash for you. And I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) (laughs) And during Play Guitar, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a Mellencamp song, they all get their little moments. Kenny went nuts and brought the house down. Like drum solos are typically not that interesting, but Kenny is so good. I was just, oh, he just destroyed it. Yeah. And so Kenny comes and then we get to, to meet him like a, after in like the, the meet and greet area. Yeah. And he comes up to me and goes, well, I, boy, I shouldn't have done that. So why? <laughs> boy, did I get chewed out. <laughs> uh, Melon Camp says to me, he goes, man, what were you doing out there, man? I just want a little bit. I do what you were going on and on. And then I, he goes, man, if it wasn't for my dancing, we would have lost him. <laughs> and, Ken, and Kenny goes, yeah, if it wasn't for your dancing, because he destro- he killed it. It was a, it was a jealous performer. If it wasn't, and we just howled. I said, you. You lit up that whole, uh, yeah. that, that whole, that whole place. <laughs> yeah, he goes. Yeah, I won't be allowed to do that ever again. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, he uh, he he didn't work with them anymore. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, he was <laughs> he, he killed it on that. I mean, that those songs are now so iconic. He's you know you hear him on uh, so much stuff. He's then he started to play with Belinda Carlisle, and I was very proud of him. And it was nice seeing somebody that you really liked to, and root for them. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's it couldn't great. happen to a nicer guy. He's he's really really nice. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good.